Good morning. My name is Chuck Betters, and I am the senior pastor here at Reeves Church. And that noise that you heard during Tyler's prayer was me falling up the steps. I don't know how that's possible for somebody to fall as you're walking up steps, but that's exactly what happened. So that was the wonderful noise that you heard. Um, and that is appropriate because I am preaching to myself this morning, every morning that I preach, every Sunday that I preach, I'm cycling it through my own life. I'm a fallen man. Uh, I'm one fallen man speaking to other fellow fallen men and women. And so, um, as was announced earlier, before we get into our, our time together under the word, tonight we have our outdoor worship. Our outdoor worship right here at the church, right behind the church building at six o'clock. So it's six o'clock tonight. We're going to be celebrating communion together. We're going to be receiving some new members, um, and it's going to be a, a great time of worship. We are very, very blessed at Reach Church to have the best of both worlds during this pandemic. So during this pandemic, it, it is difficult for us to meet in person uh, with many of the regulations and the rules in order to keep us safe. Um, it's just not church. Uh, to come together and not to be able to speak to each other and to have to socially distance in different ways. Um, it's, it's a very difficult time. So we've been providing this online platform on Sunday mornings where you can watch from the safety and comfort of your own home uh, and you can engage in that way. But we also are providing an outdoor worship um, aspect to our, to our church right now, where we can also come together. You can socially distance. Those of you who want to stay in your cars, if you just need to be away from everyone totally, you can do that. Uh, there's going to be seating areas where you can go if you don't want anyone to talk to you or get close to you. So really, there's no excuse. We're trying to make it where everyone can come together, and so we can have the best of both worlds. We can still meet together in person. It just looks different. And so the past couple of times we've done this, it's been wonderful, so I hope you will come out tonight at 6 o'clock. Because, you know, we are in a new world, for sure. We have this pandemic that has happened. There's cultural changes. There's a new generation that is emerging right now. Uh, they're known as the Zoomers because they're the ones who have had classes through Zoom and, um, you know, they're, they're going to school through Zoom and they're, they're emerging and they're, they're becoming known as the Zoomers and perhaps they're the best candidate to become the next hero generation because everything around us is changing. Before 2020, everything was already changing anyway, especially in the church. But when you put the 2020 upheaval together with everything that has happened in the church up until this point, the church universal, it means that the church in general, Christians in general, are at a historic crossroads. We are. Some have said that COVID-19 and some of the other things happening is, is God's judgment on the world. And I don't know that. I don't believe that. If anything, I believe that COVID-19 might be a judgment or a warning or something as it has to do with the church on Christians. Because the healing of a nation, the healing of the world or a people always begins with the church, with Christians, with God's people. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people, catch that? I will heal their land. The healing starts with God's people. So just think about it for a minute. We have this pandemic where the church isn't able to meet in person. It's the first time that's ever happened in our lifetimes where week after week, the church is, is shut down in some ways when it comes to Sunday morning worship and especially even when it comes to some other ministries. And the minute we peek out, to start thinking about resuming in-person worship, what happens in our culture? George Floyd, racial unrest, political turmoil. I don't think it's by chance that that has happened. In other words, here at the church, we've, been, we've had to dial it back. 
We've had to not meet together in person, which is a very big deal. And the minute we start to reopen Sunday mornings and start thinking about that and what that's going to look like, it's like we peek out through the trees and bam, we're hit with political unrest, enormous cultural issues. And so Christians have engaged with it, especially the young people. And it's encouraging on one hand to see how some of the older people are listening to the younger people and the younger people listening to the older people and those who disagree. It's encouraging to see those who are listening to each other. But honestly, many of the cultural issues that we face, many of the political issues, not just when it, when it comes to race, but all of the things that we see around us that are in turmoil right now, our answers should come naturally. What we offer the world, it, it, should, it should be fairly easy if we are overlaying Jesus with those cultural issues. We say, well, I don't know what to say, and I'm confused and all of this. We shouldn't be. In fact, some of this is, is really child's play. It's milk and not meat. And I don't care how long you've been a Christian, that this is, this is not something that requires, you know, spiritual rocket science. The things that are emerging, if we overlay Jesus, and we see Jesus first before those cultural issues, before the things we see going on out there in the world, before the way we react to things, the way we react to our friends, whatever it may be, if we see Jesus first, the answer, the response, the words we say should be fairly natural and easy. I'm going to show what that means as we go on. The fact that there's so much disagreement among Christians on some of these issues is perplexing because when you filter these issues through the lens of nothing but Jesus, they become fairly easy to navigate. It becomes pretty clear what you should say, what you should feel, what your response should be when you set aside all the other stuff and you just put Jesus in front of it, the answers become easier. And what has happened is we've been distracted from the main thing. Because right now, the biggest, most pressing question shouldn't be things like, when are we going to sit together in the sanctuary again? And that's not a pressing question at this time, especially when you can meet online together, when you have opportunities through the week online, especially when you can meet outside um, and worship together. And, you know, I haven't really heard much of those complaints, if any of those complaints from our people, but that's good because that really shouldn't be the thing we're holding fast to right now. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, what is it that we hold fast to in this new world? And it's worth repeating this morning. Paul tells us in Philippians what Christians should be focused on and what a church should look like in a letter that he wrote to these Philippians 2,000 years ago. He writes to a church that was already good. He writes, these are the good guys. He writes to a church and he expresses to them what a new level of good, that's the name of our series, will look like. He could have written this letter to the Philippians and said, great job, guys, just keep doing what you're doing. But instead, he reminded the Philippians of what they were to hold fast to. Because I think right now that, that Christians are struggling right now to figure out what it is that we are to hold fast to in this new world. I mean, you can see people all over the place, Christians, all over the place, social media and conversations, um, whatever it may be, you can see it all around us that we're grabbing to hold fast onto something. And many times it's a swing and a miss. I saw the other day, there was a guy, not from our church, this is a really great guy, a you know, really, really good man, good guy, somebody I look up to, um, and he, he wrote this big, long post on Facebook. And it was all about the cultural issues. Um, I could have written it for him before he wrote it because you could you know, start with the first line or look at the rest of the Facebook profile and you knew what was coming. And uh, I mean, it was very harsh. It was um, very divisive. Uh, it did not overlay Jesus at all in what he said. 
And it's really sad because he's a great guy and has so much to offer the next generation. And what was interesting is that his daughter got on there and her comment was simply this, swing and a miss, dad. And that was it. And I thought, how sad. This man has so much to offer, but yet he's grabbing onto all of these temporal, worldly things that have nothing to do with Jesus. That obviously, even to a non-Christian, hadn't been filtered through his Christian faith at all or through the lens of Jesus. Because I think Christians, like I said, are struggling to figure out what to hold fast to in this new world. Some say we need to hold fast to traditional Christian, conservative, political positions. Some say we need to hold fast to, you know, just loving everyone and just tolerating everyone's varying beliefs. Some say we need to really hold fast to protecting our religious freedoms. Never mind that we could become the most free religious society of all time and one of the least practicing religious societies of all time. Some would say we need to hold fast to purity of movements or a purity of organizations or people or whatever that we tend to support. So just be very careful as to what organizations and what movements and, 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 and who you're echoing and who you're, who, you're, who you're looking to. And some say we have to hold fast to that purity until it becomes the person we support and then all bets are off. And then it's okay to say, well, I agree with some things, but not other things. And, you know, all of this breaks down. All of it falls apart. Some say we need to hold fast to our own families. That falls apart. Paul says to hold fast to certain things in Philippians. And I want to take a look at what those things are over the next few weeks. What is he encourage us to hold fast to in this new world. To get to our first hold fast, we need to go to chapter 2. So Philippians chapter 2, if you have a Bible, turn to it. Philippians chapter 2. And these are some verses that we are going to be tempted to skip over because they're not famous verses. Uh, right before this, we have this incredible Christ hymn that's very famous. There's a lot of other famous verses in Philippians. But here we have verses that feel like we can just kind of gloss over them, but we shouldn't because we get one of the keys to what Paul is encouraging us to hold fast to right from these verses. So Philippians 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So Paul says to the Philippians, he's in prison, he says, I hope to send you this guy Timothy soon. I mean, what do we know about Timothy? We know that Timothy had come to know Jesus at a very young age. Because we have 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. Paul says this to Timothy. How from childhood, so from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we know that Timothy had been a believer from a very young age. But how? Well, we see in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy's mother and grandmother taught him the Christian faith. What about his dad? What about the man of the house, the man's man? What about the father? We have to go to the book of Acts where Paul meets Timothy for the first time to learn about his father. Acts 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple, so this is a disciple, someone who already knows Jesus, was there. 
named Timothy. There he is. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. And we know from that that's Eunice, who was a believer. But then watch this. But his father was a Greek. But his father was a Greek. We'll come back to that in a minute. He was well spoken of by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. Ouch! He's a grown man, and he's circumcising him. That is rough. But he circumcised him. Those are the difficult passages of Scripture that are hard to comprehend, but he did it. Because of the Jews, so he circumcises him because the Jews believed you needed to be circumcised according to the Old Testament, who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So his father was a Greek. He circumcised him because people knew that his father was a Greek. That means that his father was a Gentile, a non-Jew. That means that his father literally was heathen. That's what we know. We know that because of the interpretation of the words and and the, the context of it. We know that Paul doesn't mention his name. He mentions his mother's name, his grandmother's name when it comes to his faith. But for his father, he was a Greek. That's what he was known as. Too many times, that's how we are known as well. But his father was a big Eagles fan. Great. Glad you're an Eagles fan. But his father was a mechanic. But his father was extremely patriotic. But his father was a trailblazer for race relations. Just put yourself in there. What would be said of you when it comes to who you are, if you sum it up in a couple of words. In other words, his father was not a Christian. His father was a Greek. So let's go back to Philippians and see what Paul's thinking is about Timothy. This is all going to tie together eventually. Verse 19 again, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. Now, imagine other people are reading this, and yet Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests. Again, other people reading this, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Notice how Paul writes that Timothy serves with him in the gospel as a son with a father. That's an interesting phrase. Another version of the Bible puts it like this, but you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. I mean, out of all the metaphors Paul could have used to describe not his relationship with Timothy, but the way that they served together, he chose this metaphor of a father and a son. That's interesting, isn't it? He could have said, like a good soldier, he serves with me. He could have said, like a good worker, he serves with me. But he uses this example of a father and a son. And notice the focus of their service together. Verse 22 again, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. That's the focus. The gospel. The gospel means literally good news. It literally means what Jesus has done for us. His life, death, his resurrection. It's the story of Jesus. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with something done outside of us. The good news. He served with me in the gospel. I mean, why is this all so significant? Why am I making such a big deal out of this? 
Because back then, a, a, a son followed in his father's footsteps. You know, if a, if a father was a carpenter, the son was a carpenter. If a father was a farmer, the son was a farmer. If the father was a fisherman, the son was a fisherman. I mean, if the father was a Greek, many times for the Greeks, they would, they would focus on the great writings, um, the great philosophical writings, and their son might become a teacher or something like that. But yet, Timothy serves with Paul, not in any of those things, but in the gospel. Timothy doesn't take up the causes of his Greek father. Get that? He doesn't take up that cause of, well, he's Greek, and that's my background, that's the way I was raised, so I'm going to take up that cause. He doesn't do that. He doesn't fuse his Greek father's beliefs, these cherished beliefs, and they were cherished, with Christian beliefs. In other words, Timothy doesn't hold fast to his heritage. Now, that's controversial right there. Oh, don't say that. We need to hold fast to our heritage. No, we don't. Timothy doesn't hold fast to his father's occupation. Timothy holds fast to serving in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything Timothy does is filtered through that lens, not through his, his father's likes and dislikes, his father's heritage, his father's occupation, not through the, the, the thoughts of the day, the philosophies or whatever it may be. It's all through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our first hold fast. And we've already said it a couple weeks ago, but it bears repeating and digging into a little bit deeper. One of the main themes of Philippians, Paul is so clear about what the mission of the church should be, is that we are holding fast to Christ. Holding fast to Christ. I said it a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't really dig into it too much, and I want to this morning. Paul is so clear about what we are to be about as a church. Here Paul is in prison. I mean, that's turmoil. That's upheaval. He can't be with them. He's, they're in this early society, um, this Philippian society, where there would have been a lot of outside influences against them. They were a lower-rung religion. And here Paul says, this is what you're to be about as a church. If you look at Philippians 1, Verse 3, Paul tells us what we are to be about as a church in this new world that we find ourselves in. Nothing's really changed from the old world, but we need to be reminded of this because what I'm seeing, and I think you'd agree, is that there's a lot of swings and a miss right now by Christians in this new world. Philippians 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy. Here it is. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. Partnership in the gospel. Reads church that is what we are about. If you're watching this right now on YouTube or on Facebook or through our website, maybe you're watching it during the week, and as we begin to emerge more and more from this pandemic and we begin to emerge more and more from a lot of the unrest around us, Reach Church is all about partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you partner with us on that? Not on worship preferences, not on silly theological controversies, not on politics or my religious freedoms or what this politician or this Christian leader is saying or whatever's happening, not on, you know, God and faith and football or whatever. None of these things are bad in and of themselves, but it's not the main thing for Reach Church. 
The main thing is partnership in the gospel. We need partners. Will you partner with us? Will you be a partner with us in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I love how he says, from the first day until now. In other words, many times we think that we need Jesus when we become a Christian, at the, at the moment of conversion, when we ask Jesus into our lives, that we, we need Jesus then, but then we forget Jesus and move on to other things. Paul says, no, it's not only from the moment of conversion, but it's all the way through your sanctification. That means growing more and more like Jesus, all the way to the moment of your glorification. We need Jesus from the first day until now. Can Reach Church be about nothing but Jesus from the first day until now and beyond? Christ isn't only for our conversion, but for our growth day by day. Paul says that on faith, I, I believe that he's going to begin this work he's done in you and bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 16 in chapter 2, Paul says, holding fast, holding fast to the word of life. There it is again. Paul had all kinds of biases he could have relied on in his effort to see the world. All kinds of biases, all kinds of background, all kinds of traditions, all kinds of patriotism in his background for his country, all kinds of godly examples. Some of the Pharisees he studied under, I mean, these were spiritual giants, seen as spiritual giants, from the outside at least. They were seen as the examples, the shepherd of the people. He had the pedigree, but he doesn't hold fast to any of it. It's incredible. And if there was anyone who could or should or would have had the right to hold fast to all these other things but Jesus, it would have been Paul. I mean, you may be sitting there thinking, you don't understand the way I was raised, who my parents are, what my dad did for a living, what my mom does for a living, whatever, how, what, my experiences, my convictions, my worldview, whatever. These are things that it's, it's hard for me not to hold fast to them. Paul says, I'm not going to hold fast to any of those things. Not only that, he says, I put no confidence in those things. Not only that, he says that those things, all good things in many ways, he counts as loss. Isn't that interesting? He counts them to be negatives. And friends, I think we see that right now with the way the church is peeking out through the trees you know, like Homer Simpson, when he looks at his neighbor's yard, you know, the church is coming out. We're peeking out through the trees and we, we aren't counting as loss and as negative all the things but Jesus. We're counting these things as, as primary and it's a lot of swinging and a lot of missing. Well, I'll prove it to you. Philippians 3, verse 3. Paul says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Watch. I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, he's going to tell you why he can be confident in the flesh in his stuff that he's done circumcised on the eighth day. Proud, man. That's a good thing. Of the people of Israel, big. Of the tribe of Benjamin, huge. A Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, this is a well-rounded guy. As to the law, a Pharisee. I mean, we see Pharisees as negative today, but back then they weren't seen that way at all. They were seen as the spiritual giants. He was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. In other words, when he was a Pharisee, he actually believed in that stuff so much that he persecuted Christians because he saw them as a threat to the Old Testament, to the Pharisaical way, to the Hebrew way. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He practiced what he preached. But watch, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. There it is. 
Do you count your accomplishments, your background, your pedigree, your traditions, your, you know, whatever it is that might be in your family that's, that's, that's good? These things, he says, I count them as a loss. Not that they are bad things, but they can't be the primary thing for the sake of Christ. And indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Hold fast to Christ. That's where the good stuff is. That's where we're not going to swing and miss at these cultural issues. But we're going to step up to the plate and we're going to hit a grand slam out of the park. Why? Because of Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish. You know, this is usually my excuse to say bad words on Sunday because rubbish literally means a curse word. I'm not going to get into it, but this was a big thing for Paul to say this. In order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I mean, why is all of this so important? Because it impacts the way we see the world. It impacts our thoughts, our witness to our friends, the way that we parent, decisions that we make. It will tangibly change positions that we take, decisions that we make. You know what else it'll do? It will bind Reach Church together. Because instead of this person over here has this thing they're going on, this person over here has this thing they're holding fast to, we're all holding fast to the same thing. That's what the church is supposed to be to Christ Jesus, considering all of the other things as negatives, as loss compared to Jesus. It's going to change things. I mean, think about it. You think about the cultural issues right now. I mean, just imagine, this would have been offensive to people reading it. This would have been offensive to those who, who were proud of their backgrounds. This would have been offensive to people who may have seen earlier where Paul said, you know, all of the palace guard, the Romans, you know, these heathens, they're seeing my witness and they're really kind of taking note of it. This would have caused many people to cringe, religious people to cringe. What do you mean? They're not practicing Christians. They're not practicing Jews. Why are you worried about them? I knew this one and he did this to me and that to me or whatever. I mean, he doesn't say any of that. And the things that he does say would have been jarring to them. In other words, I want you to imagine Paul saying in this list, you know what? I've been racially profiled. Hmm? Accounted as a loss compared to knowing Jesus. I had a cop for an uncle. I counted as loss compared to knowing Jesus. I am a hardcore Republican. I counted as loss compared to Jesus. I'm a hardcore, open-minded, liberal Democrat. I counted as loss compared to the worth of knowing Jesus, because I'm holding fast to him. I count those things as negatives. Imagine that. Imagine how, you know, whoever his family members were, imagine what they thought reading this. Imagine how those who prided themselves in national pride of the Hebrews, the Romans, whatever it may be, just as much as we have, maybe even more, how do they feel? Paul says, it's all rubbish, all of it. Those are big words. I mean, we can see this list and we can kind of, it's not offensive to us because Pharisee, zeal, whatever, it doesn't mean anything to us. But put some of the other things, more contemporary things in there. Good things, some of them are very good things, but not ultimate things. Matthew 12, verse 46. Listen to what Jesus said. Listen to this. While Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my brother, mother, and who are my brothers? So someone asked him, you know, who's my mother, who are my brothers? In other words, who are the people I have to be nice to? It was the question he was asked earlier. He stretched his hand towards his disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. 
Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I mean, his own family as loss. My mother, my brother. Listen, we, we operate in a different world. We're citizens of heaven. You know, we're foreigners in this land. We're strangers. And yet we try so hard to, to fuse together all of our traditions and, and beliefs and background or whatever it may be in some way when we have this most precious gift of Jesus. It's like butter, easy, the answer smooth. When you overlay Jesus in front of these issues, it becomes clear, not easy. It's an narrow road, easy to know when you cycle it through Jesus. Okay, so we hold fast to Christ. That's our first one. And so I want to answer three questions um, as we go through the rest of our time together. The first one is why? Why do we hold fast to Christ? The second question is, is how do we hold fast to Christ in the context of the church? And the third isn't really a question, but it's one practical step I want to give us as a next step to hold fast to Christ, to put it into action. So why, how, and next step? Well, first, why? Why hold fast to Christ? Romans 8, 28 to 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What an amazing promise, right off the bat. But I love the next verse, because that one's the popular verse, but I love verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. And here it is. Why? To be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, the purpose of everything we go through, the purpose of being a Christian, the purpose of being part of Reach Church, a body of believers, is to hold fast to Christ. Why? So that we can be conformed, that means changed more and more, to be the image of Christ, to be an imitator of Christ, to be like Christ. Are we like that right now? You look at overall Christians and the way we respond to everything going on around us, would people really be able to say right now, wow, man, they really imitate that dude Jesus that I've read about so much. I mean, I I just can't, I'm just totally reminded of Jesus when I see that social media post that that guy just did or that comment that was made to me, or you know, the way that my son-in-law argued with me at the dinner table about X, Y, or Z. I can really see Christ in them. Is that happening? Hold fast to Christ, because the goal is to become like Christ, to resemble him more and more. This is the purpose of the church. This is the why, to become little Christs, you know? Little Christ, that's what Christian means. We've forgotten that, we have. An imitator of Christ. C.S. Lewis, in a wonderful place in Mere Christianity, says this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, I'm gonna add a few things here, okay? All the in-person, socially distanced worship services, clergy, mission trips, sermons, even the Bible itself, wow, are simply a waste of time. If you're not a little Christ, read the Bible all you want to. It's a waste of time, he's saying. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. So we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory. 
being transformed more and more to be like Jesus. Many times it's the opposite for us. We grow older and older and become more and more hardened in positions that have nothing to do with Jesus. We forget Jesus more and more. It's the opposite, to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. So we see the world, we see our heritage, we see life experiences, not through our background or accomplishments that Paul says are negatives, but through the lens of nothing but Jesus. Okay, that's the why, to become conformed to the image of Christ. That's why you hold fast to Christ, so that you can be seen as a little Christ. So you can be seen as someone who more and more is like Jesus. How? Okay, how do we hold fast to Christ? And this is a key phrase, in the context of the church. At Reach Church, I mean, how do we hold fast? There's many ways, but in the context of the church, there's one way that bubbles up in this passage, and I think is a, a main way when it comes to the church. And it bubbles up in Paul's writings, and we see it here in this passage that we gloss over about Timothy. So back to Philippians 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. Okay, so... Again, Paul says, I have no one like Timothy. I mean, this would not go over well in our culture where everyone gets a trophy, you know? I mean, he, he differentiates between Timothy and other people. Others would have been reading this, yet he says it boldly, I have no one like Timothy, okay? He says boldly elsewhere, he calls people out boldly elsewhere. Philippians 3, 2, look out for the dogs. I mean, that's not really, you know, socially sensitive. Look out for the dogs, Look out for the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. I mean, these would have been the religious people he's talking about. Philippians 4, 2, I entreat Judea, I entreat Syncate, two people in his church, to get along. Calls them out by name, the two of you. I mean, can you imagine being enshrined in the letter to the Philippians for all time? I mean, what uh, an accomplishment, you know? I, I beg you, I entreat you. So Paul has no problem using names when it comes to bad examples and calling things out, and when it comes to good examples. Paul says about Timothy, I don't have anyone like him. Why? Why does he have no one like him? Well, we see it in the same passage. I have no one like him, and he says it, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I mean, that's... One way that you know when someone's heart's right, when someone is truly following after Jesus, when someone truly is getting it, when they have genuine concern for others. Not, you know, punching a clock or that kind of thing where I gotta talk to this person or that person, but genuine concern for their welfare. So, how do we hold fast to Christ in the context of the church? Listen, by following the examples of others in the church who are holding fast to Christ, okay? So in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is Paul speaking. Now, here's, here's the verse. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Wow. Be imitators of me, Paul says. I mean, when was the last time you heard someone say that? Be imitators of me. It's a huge statement. Again, in verse 16, I urge you, be imitators of me. And then in verse 17, here we go. That is why I sent you Timothy. Why? To be imitators of him, to be imitators of Paul, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways 
in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul says, I sent Timothy to you so you could imitate me. I mean, how could Paul possibly encourage others to imitate him? Doesn't that sound haughty and prideful? I mean, Paul was a sinner. Timothy was a sinner. Yet Paul says, imitate us. The word for imitate is the same word for a mime. You know what a mime is? A, a mime is this theatrical technique of suggesting action, character, words without saying anything. It's a dance. And it's using only like expression, movement. In other words, Paul's saying, watch me and imitate me. Wow. Galatians 4.12, he says it again. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. Entreat means literally, I beg you. I beg you to be like me. Guys, try saying that to your, you know, your spouse. Be like me. See how that goes. Philippians 4.9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. There it is again. Practice these things. Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I mean, how do these passages where Paul is saying, imitate me, watch me, do what I do, how do they square with Romans 7 where Paul says, I can't stop doing the things I know I shouldn't do. And the things I know I should do, I don't do. What a wretched man I am. How does it square with that? How does it square with what he said towards the end of his life? In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said to Timothy, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I was the foremost. Nope, it doesn't say was. It says I am present. I am the foremost. I am the worst sinner that I know. That's what Paul says. Imitate me. How can he say that? 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me, Paul says. And here we go, as I am of Christ. There it is. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Be like me in the way I am like Jesus. There's the old story. There was once a little boy who really looked up to his grandfather and wondered out loud, Grandpa, how do you live for Jesus? And this respected grandfather looked at him and quietly said, just watch me. Just watch me. Years went by and the little boy turned into an older boy and he didn't really walk with the Lord at all. The grandfather was still an example of how to follow Jesus, yet the son, grandson lived in a way that was not pleasing to God. And one day the young man visits his grandfather for what they both knew would be the very last time. And as the older grandfather was dying, the grandson leaned over the bed and heard his grandfather whisper this, did you watch? Did you see Jesus? That was the turning point in his life. He understood what his grandpa said when he said, just watch. That needed to be added to that as I'm like Jesus. Big distinction. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul says that's the way to hold fast to Christ in the church to imitate him, to imitate Timothy as they imitate Christ. Okay, so it's the same for us. The way to hold fast to Christ in this crazy time is to look around. Look around at others for their example of how they are imitating Jesus. Not perfect people, chief of sinners type people, but those who are manifesting Jesus in their lives, be like them. I mean, we've had so many celebrities come and go who served as role models. You know, I want to be like that person. Remember back in the 80s and 90s, be like Mike, Michael Jordan. 
I mean, there was guys who had their tongues sticking out as they were going up for a little layup, trying to be like Mike, right? Trying to do a slam dunk from the foul line. I want to be like Mike. I think Charles Barkley may have gotten it right when he said, I don't want to be a role model to anyone. I mean, when you look at it, and even when you look at Michael Jordan, as great as he was, even in the most recent documentary, I wouldn't say that you really want to be like that in many ways. Be like me. Hmm. Don't be like me. That's what Charles Barkley said. At least he was honest. Be like Jesus. And the way to do that in the church, the way to hold fast to Jesus, is to look around and see others who are manifesting Jesus in their lives. That's what Paul says. Imitate me. Be like me. Be like Timothy as I'm like Christ. I'm going to give you a few examples. These are imperfect people. As I was thinking of some of these people from the past of our church, I was realizing that every single one of them, and even the president of our church, would not look at themselves and say, I'm like Christ. They wouldn't. And many times that makes us the most like Christ when we realize how much we need Jesus. Humility. Be like Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So look around. I remember many, many years ago, one of my closest friends, he was in his 30s, and he was a clown. And he just was filled with life, filled with life, encouraging. He'd been in the church all of his life, supportive. And he was an entertainer. And he is just, when I think of people that I've known, he, he had the most life of anyone perhaps that I've ever known. And he had a brain tumor. I remember him telling me, I mean, I was standing right over there, right over there, when he told me after church, he came up to me and he said, Chuck, got a problem, got a brain tumor. And I want to walk my daughters down the aisle. We'll see what happens. And so he suffered and he suffered, but he came to church. I mean, those of us who just stop meeting together, this thing happens, we have kids, we stop coming to church, whatever it may be. I mean, he was there. His face swelled up from all the medicines. I mean, his body was just racked. And I remember there was one Sunday where he was sitting right over there in that front pew right there. I still can see him there. And I was up here leading worship, and I could see him. And we were singing the song, Shout to the Lord. And he could barely stand up. But yet he stands up. And not only that, he couldn't just stand up. He wanted to lift his arms. Ooh, I'm not a hand raiser. Oh, boy. Not this guy. He lifted his hands. But you know what? Unlike us who say, well, I'm not a hand raiser. Ooh. Unlike us, he was not able to lift his hands by himself. So instead of just putting his arms down and just, you know, whatever, everybody, everyone would have understood, he got two men next to him, one on one side, one on the other, and they held his arms up as he worshiped the entire song. Hey, interludes and all, the whole nine yards. I will never forget that. Imperfect person, be the first to tell you I'm the chief of sinners, messed up, you know, all the above. But that's a little Christ. Be like him as he imitates Christ. I remember years ago, I'm going to walk over here if you can follow me, right around here, okay, on this stage, under this stage, originally, there was a lower stage. 
And there came a time that we built a wooden stage over top of it, okay, with one of our many changes that we made, okay? And there was this multi-pin cable, big, thick cable that was always just sitting along this area right here, huge tripping hazard, eyesore. But to make a long story short, without getting into details, it, it needed to be buried in some way. And the only way to do it was to go through the original stage, okay? And under that wooden stage wasn't a wooden stage, but a concrete stage. So there was a guy in our church. He came in. He crawled under the stage, okay? And he's right here with a jackhammer, jackhammering the concrete, sweating. I mean, just he's a guy who worked all day, quiet guy, sweating and just drills the hole into the stage so that we could bury that cable. Now, that will never show up in the score. That will never show up in the box score. That's not an out front thing. He wasn't even seen when he's doing the work. And yet, here he is, without needing to be thanked, without needing you know, somebody to stroke his ego, he was being a little Christ. And that carries on through a lot of the people in our church. I mean, even recently, we said, you know what? We want to have outdoor worship services. Let's have outdoor worship services. We need, to, we need to join together. But we needed to get electric in order to have outdoor worship services. It just doesn't just happen. And so we contacted someone in our church who is an incredibly hard worker, incredibly busy, has his own business during COVID-19 where times are difficult. We said, we need electric all the way out to the back of our property. And we need it in like, you know, three days or whatever. And we gave him a little bit more time than that. And what did he do? He came out. And if you, go, if you come tonight, you can see a, this long trench that he dug. And you can see this beautiful work Actually, you'll never see it because it's behind the scenes. Just incredible work that was done without praise, without accolades. He probably wouldn't even want me to mention it. That's a little Christ. It's not like that all the time. Neither was the other guy, neither am I. But in that instance, he's serving. Be like him as he's like Christ. We need you to serve. We need you to use your gifts. That's what a body does. We have a, a young man on our session. He's in his 20s, okay? He's in his 20s, and he's one of our elders. It goes to show that that has nothing to do with age. And he's one of our elders, and I have seen him stand alone when men two, three times his age are where he's in disagreement with them. And there's a deep, passionate conviction there. And I've seen him stand up and graciously stand alone. Young guys, be like him as he is like Christ. There's an older man in our congregation. I believe he was one of the oldest people in our church. And so when I started as senior pastor many years ago, one of the things that we, even before that, that we were slowly changing is we used to have a group of ushers, you know, all men, right? That's because, you know, whatever. But we had all men ushers, and they, they were like some, some great men of our church. And we slowly wanted to transition that from all men to including some women, to making it a greeting team, to making it something that, you know, could really help us in different ways. And most of the guys were, were gracious and were helpful. I mean, I think of some of the giants who were on that team who went before us. But then there was one, and I think he's probably one of the oldest people in our church, he fought in the Korean War. He was a guy, I wasn't sure exactly how he would respond to, you know, to me, to nothing but Jesus. I mean, he's a guy who's had his faith his entire life. Do you know that every Sunday he would walk out, he would take my hand and shake it, he would look into my eyes, and he would say, nothing but Jesus. It's an old guy, 87 years old. 
He would walk forward for communion because we changed that from passing the plates to doing something more personal, in our opinion, walking forward, even kneeling and being prayed for. He would walk forward each time and he would struggle to kneel and he would look at me with tears in his eyes and he would many times ask me to pray for him. Here's a guy who had passed the plates his whole life. I mean, what are you doing? You're changing things on me. A little Christ. Be like him. We buried him this past week, by the way. There's one of our uh, workers was, you know, when you're in a Christian school and you're in a front office position, you tend to hear some, you know, gossip, some complaints, some you know, different drama. I mean, I'm sure that surprises you that that would happen in the front office of a Christian school, but it does from time to time. And this woman was one of our, one of our workers in that area, hearing it all. I mean, all of it, all the drama. You know, many times it was like a, a daily, as my son would call it, a Karen convention. Um, so Karens are great too. But Every day, more and more drama. But yet, the way that she handled it was filled with grace, no drama, no buying into it, no soapboxes, nothing. Be like her as she is like Christ. I remember a, a man who has gone to be with the Lord and my dad used to tell the story where uh, after my brother died in a car accident, my dad just needed friends. And my dad said one time to this man, he said, you know, I just want to hit something. I just want to hit something. I'm so saddened and brokenhearted and even mad at God in some ways. I just want to hit someone. And this man said, hit me. Hmm? Jesus takes on our hits. Be like him, this man, look around, as he is like Christ. I think of some people in our church who have taken steps of faith. There's one couple where they had done a lot in their lives, Christian school teacher, pastor, different things, pastor's wife, and then they came to a point where they said, well, what's next? They said, you know, I think we want to start an orphanage in Kenya. Be like them as they are like Christ. Not focused on this thing and that thing and this controversy and this gossip and this drama and this turmoil or whatever. Too focused on Jesus and on mission. Be like Christ. So we look around and we see others who are acting and manifesting, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Christ coming out of people around us. Imitate them. But you know what else? We need more of them. Be one of them. Be one of them. And here's the next step, the next practical step that I'm gonna ask everyone to take. Okay, here's the ask at the end. Here's how we can put this into motion. You heard earlier that we are going to be launching something that we're calling core training, core leadership. We're just calling it our core leadership class. And basically what we've done is we've taken the material that we've used in the past to train our leaders, elders, deacons, small group leaders, whatever. We've revamped that. We've tailored it to where the culture is right now, where we are as a church, because I think all churches are starting over in some ways. And we've put, put this thing together and we are inviting you to come out and join us. To come in person, it's gonna be in person, it's gonna be on Zoom. And the purpose of it is to all of, for all of us to mobilize together. For all of us to get on the same page as to what it looks like to hold fast to Christ in this new culture, in these new realities that we see around us. We need you to do this. We've made it where there's really not a good excuse not to do it. 
by signing up for the class and attending, you're not agreeing to become an officer. Or it's not, that's not what it's about. It's really about developing a core team. There's so many people in our church and so many of you are supportive, but we don't all know each other. And we need to do that. We need to coalesce around our mission. And so you're able to do this on Zoom, so you can do it at home. If you have kids, just an hour and a half, 7 to 8.30, starting on July 13th. So July 13th, it's a Monday night. And so for every Monday night through July and through August, we're gonna have this team where we're gonna be developing little Christs. We're going to be developing, you know, many times it's just that we don't know who the people are around us and what's going on in their lives. We're not sharing our stories together. And so I want to encourage you, whoever you are, whoever's watching this, to sign up, to join us, and to see what God can do through you when you are holding fast, not to all the other stuff out there, but holding fast to Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless these words that have been spoken, that they would sink deep into the depths of our hearts, that we would hold fast to you. I pray that I would, that you would work that in me more and more from glory to glory to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. The people around us need it. Our culture needs it, our families need it, the young people need it. Everyone needs us to hold fast to Christ in a way that they can point at us and say that's, that's a representation right there of Jesus. I pray for our people as we continue to um, struggle in many ways through this pandemic through the various struggles that we all face. I pray that they would be encouraged by what they've heard this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.